And now, Modernizing the Citizen Journey Through Data, sponsored by Kodak Alaris. Here's your host, Jason Miller, Executive Editor of Federal News Radio. Welcome to the panel discussion. I'm excited to talk about IT modernization, citizen services, and how it's all coming together. My guests are Justin Herman, who leads the Emerging Citizen Technology Program in the General Services Administration, Marcy Jacobs, the Design Practice Director for the U.S. Digital Service in the White House, and Acting Agency Lead for Digital Service Team at the Veterans Affairs Department, Aisha Davina, the former Senior Advisor in the Office of the Administrator at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and Daryl Hillary, the Federal Director of Strategic Alliances for Kodak Alaris. Welcome to the program. Before we get started today, let me set some context for our discussion. In just over seven years, agencies have submitted more than 149,000 data sets to the data.gov portal. Of those, commerce and interior departments accounted for more than 110,000 of them. Now, I'll add to that the data the government's collecting ranging from cybersecurity to citizen interactions with websites to sensors in the field. It's no wonder some will call this an era of data chaos. Now, some experts estimate that as agencies deal with this huge growth of data, more than 90% of it doesn't live in these neat rows and columns. The inability to harness the data leads to complexity and lost productivity. If agencies can get a handle on this data, it presents a great opportunity for them to save money, become more effective through the flow of information, simplified workflows, and of course, reliable data quality. Now, in fact, 70 federal managers and, and partnered with citizen engagement experts and other open government organizations to develop something called the U.S. Public Participation Playbook. These 12 plays combine best practices and suggested performance metrics for agencies to evaluate and build better services. To meet these citizens' needs, the playbook identified five main categories that should be addressed in all programs, whether digital or offline. Now, at the same time, agencies are looking to modernize their technologies. Those back-end processes that help capture and feed data back to them need to change. We all know the lift and shift approach to IT modernization is not a good one. The IT modernization effort is working its way through Congress and the White House as both a cybersecurity and an effectiveness and efficiency play. As OMB said last fall, moving to a modern infrastructure and cloud-based infra solutions is a fundamental necessity to building a digital government that is responsive to citizens' needs and secure by design. And doing so will enhance agencies' ability to protect data, reduce costs, and deliver world-class services to the public. So, with that context in place, let's again turn to our panels. Justin Herman, who leads the Emerging Citizen Technology Program at the General Services Administration. Marcy Jacobs, the Design Practice Director for the U.S. Digital Service in the White House and an acting agency lead for the D digital services team at the Veterans Affairs Department. Aisha Davina, the former senior advisor in the Office of Administrator at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and Daryl Hillary, the Federal Director of Strategic Alliances for Kodak Alaris. Let's turn to Marcy to start, since you have uh, a hand in, uh, at the agency level and, and from the view from the USDS, talk about the work you're doing at VA around modernizing citizen services. Sure. So my background is in design, so I'm always focused on the user impact and the user-centered design of everything that we're touching. What I hear from a lot of agencies is modernizing services is typically approached from a technology or a business or agency perspective and not as much from a, a citizen or user perspective who's actually using this service, whether it's an external citizen or the internal employee who is helping to process the service, if it's a benefits application or something like that. So at the VA, we're working on a project called vets.gov, which is pulling together transactions from across lots of different websites and forms across the entire department and improving those, modernizing them, and putting them in one platform to make it both easier for veterans to access, but also making them mobile responsive, making them 508 compliant, looking at plain language, really taking a, a human-centered approach to modernization and not a technology approach. And, and the difference here is not just, okay, if we put this form that was paper and put it online, I mean, that was done early 2000s, that was the lift and shift that we all know doesn't work anymore, but really saying, are we asking the right questions and are we making it so that the user, the, the veteran in this case, can fill it out easily. That's, sure. that's a big piece of it? That's a big piece of it, but it's also when you, when you take a paper form, you have to fill out all the information. It's a standalone item. When you have all that information in a system, you don't need to ask the questions that you already know the answers to. So how do we use technology to empower our users? How do we think about forms in a different way? If you have to change one field, your address, why don't we just make you update that one field and not make you fill out a 60-question profile update form or whatever it is, and really trying to think about data separate from the vehicle that it's collected in. So moving away from PDFs, moving away from paper, and moving into more of a collecting data and information 
um, in a way that technology can help support the people who use it. Uh, Aisha, from your experience at CMS, talk a little bit about what, how you were building on and, and using very similar to the efforts that Marcy just described. Yeah, there's something Marcy said that I think uh, really resonated with me. It was talking about um, a lot of people think about you know, modernizing is sort of exclusively focused on the technology. And I think, um, and Marcy and I had the pleasure of actually working together um, while I was at CMS. Um, and I think for us, a lot of the modernizing was also thinking about the engagement and how you understand who you're acting with. And so for me, um, technology was there as a support mechanism and a lot of it was understanding who you were who you were intending to um, engage with, how they were going to engage with you, and how to then um, improve that process. So the modernizing was all about trying to make the programs and the interactions of the programs as effective as possible. Um, and so we were having to rethink not only the technology piece of it, but also the whole communications and outreach, um, training infrastructure, you know, call center operations that aligned with that, as well as the policy elements that actually then implemented the entire programs. So it was sort of across the whole set of operations that we were thinking about how to modernize how we and, um, operated. You had to bring all those, if you will, the stakeholders in the room together. Did they get that this is not just about the policy side or this is not just about the training side, but this is the policy, the training, all the pieces and parts that have to work together? I think for us what was really a catalyst in, in terms of bringing that sort of, um, I'll call it concentric view together, was really seeing firsthand um, some of the user research sessions and feedback from the target audience. So this was, for us, it was the provider community. So um, the administrator was very um, uh, forthright in making sure that we understood that audience. And so they did listening events across the country, recruited you know, the small physician practice, the rural doctor, the family practice guy, brought them in um, to a room for two hours and tape recorded those sessions. I mean, the administrator himself listened to over 16 hours of video um, about those and hearing those statements firsthand and saying that you know you know the IRS was preferred to CMS in terms of their relationship um, that was really a, a, a sort of you know a, a you know a punch to the gut for a lot of people who really were working very hard to implement these programs in ways that they thought and were well intended um, but didn't realize how painful they were in the execution and implementation and so seeing that firsthand was really a catalytic moment I think for a lot of people that we interacted with and I think that people held on to as they thought about um, the scope of the work that they were executing. And with all due respect to our friends at the IRS, it's nothing to take away from their work, <laughs> but right, they, they do have the unfortunate uh, reputation of as being the, the toughest government agency. Uh, Justin, you get to look at it from a different perspective. Uh, GSA obviously does a lot of work both internally and externally, but you're bringing a, maybe a different perspective. Talk about how you see this. I mean, what can be talked about the, the challenges that they're speaking about uh, in their projects that haven't already been said about the show The Big Bang Theory? It's <laughs> terrible, and it's a punch in the gut to deal with. Um, what we did is, so what, what we do with our program is we work, of course, in supporting and helping missions across government and other agencies. So really, even when we do things, it's never our success at GSA. It's the success of the mission uh, where they are. That also gives us a fantastic vantage point of being able to analyze what are the emerging trends, what are the pain points, what are the things that shared services could approach, what are the things that are perhaps cultural barriers that are preventing people from really actualizing the full potential of the mission. Uh, so that's why after when we you talked earlier about the public participation playbook that we put together. Again, we worked with about 40 agencies on it. Uh, we had learned from the U.S., um, I think it was the digital playbook that they'd put out. We loved that format, uh, and we, so we stole it. Uh, and again, wanted to put just the punches, 12 steps together, uh, and then we knew and we saw using this analysis, and as agencies were using the playbook, uh, we were able to really identify a mixture of the fact that 
we knew that there was so much we were leaving on the table mission-wise. Uh, again, and if any public servant doesn't tell you that at the end of the day they don't feel some emptiness or some a little bit of miss because you know that there's so much more we could be doing and we have data to support it. Now it might be structured, might be unstructured, but we know that potential is there, and, but it's being left on the table. It's a source of frustration. So what we did is we launched what's called the Emerging Citizen Technology Program specifically to identify what are those things that we know that there's the business need across agencies. We know that there's probably data su to support it, either structured or unstructured, but nothing exists, not culturally, not policies, not recommendations, not guidance, uh, no roadmaps exist. So right now we spend most of our time with artificial intelligence, automation, and we're about to launch a government-wide blockchain initiative uh, to analyze that. And again, this is based on the needs described by agencies themselves. But as they were saying earlier, it's the technology is, is secondary and third to it. What really we're doing is we're working together across government to focus on the business cases and the needs and learning how to articulate them in such a way that opens it up so businesses can come in and help us provide the solutions to it. Uh, and so that's kind of the perspective and, and where we're coming at it. And really the only tyranny of the situation right now is the amount of options ahead. Because of course we're asked, being asked to do more with less uh, and that's something we completely welcome um, but that being said we have to be smarter and more strategic I mean innovation isn't just creating a website or doing something like you know what I mean these one-offs we have to think holistically about the entire experience and how we're leveraging data uh, in order to make it so quite frankly I don't want people to have to go to websites I don't want to have people to have to pick up a phone and call. I want to, you know what I mean? There should yep. be an entire process holistic and it, it's going to change the way we think on it. So we'll definitely go to the trends and the pain points in a second. Uh, there's plenty of talk there and, and we could talk all day about the blockchain initiative because obviously I, my, my news antenna perks up when you say we're about to launch, but we're going to turn to Daryl instead because he's been sitting here patiently okay, waiting. Daryl, talk a little bit about what you're hearing from the panel so far and what you're seeing with your federal customers. So what we're seeing is that everybody's got these great modernization efforts that they're trying to go and enable, right? And What's nice to see is that the, 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 the customer engagement aspect of it is really now focused. And as a solutions provider, we enjoy working with you guys from a customer base to make sure that as you're creating these processes, they inherently create their own problems, right? So we talked about that unstructured data that comes along with it. Everybody wants to make database decisions, data-driven decisions to help that level of customer engagement. but some of the processes just actually create more unstructured data inside themselves. So even when you go and redesign a form um, that you were trying to get rid of, what kind of backflow comes behind it in, in regards to are you going to be able to utilize additional information that comes along with it? So as a solutions provider, we ask the questions, I know we're going to design this for digital, but are we designing this for data? Um, can we make a smarter electronic document so that your legacy system can still utilize it, your future cloud strategy, it'll be integrated inside of that. Will you be able to take a look at your process and workflow that you have right now that you're actively redesigning and trying to enhance it and make it better and make it intuitive, less touch points, less places for human error we know for a fact. The less people have an opportunity to go inside and touch something, uh, the smoother and more efficient it's going to be, which is going to raise that level of customer experience. Are we doing that at a design standpoint? And are we looking at the legacy systems that are still there that we know aren't going to go away? How can we make sure that all of the future state projects that we have tie into that as seamlessly as possible? Um, and keeping that in mind as we go forward. Justin? I was about to say, we keep bringing this up. It's like the allegory of Plato's cave. You know, cave, there's the fire, people think that the fire's reality, but you're actually focused on the shadows of the wall. That's what we see with data-driven decision-making right now, is that there is no shortage of ways that you can cut up shape and put it in an Excel spreadsheet or some document data to be able to justify whatever bad decision that you're making. And so just because somebody's claiming that they're doing data-driven decision-making, uh, that, you know what I mean? It's like, so that's why it's, again, it's not chasing the tail of the technology or the data Data, but having to, to focus in on the business case to make sure that when we're looking and we're analyzing that we're seeing the truth out of it or as close to the truth as we can for accurate decision making because again it's a it's it, we're awash in it now. Marcy jump in. So what I think is interesting when you talk about IT modernization is it, it has to be looked at outside of all of the business silos which is typically the way the government is funded 
and typically the way systems are procured, built, bought, whatever. Um, looking at, we have all of this data. Every agency is collecting tons and tons of information and doesn't always know the right way to use it, but really doesn't, what I've seen is a lot of inability to connect the dots. What does a change in this program mean to, a, to the, call, the call volume at the call center? Has that made a positive impact or a negative impact? How many applications, now that we've gotten rid of paper, are we decreasing how many people actually go into a physical location to fill out a form with a human being, which of course costs a lot more money than if we can make it a self-service, and it's obviously a lot more burdensome for an individual who has to travel and fill out paper. So how do these channels interact with each other? How are we thinking about modernization from a portfolio standpoint and not just from a single touch point? This one system may be better, great, but if the login system is still broken, you still have a problem. If, the, if it's still um, confusing for people to get through to some piece of it, then you still have a high call volume. So how do we connect the dots? Aisha? Yeah, I think both of these conversations just um, made me just remember so many sort of painful moments where... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, well, I mean, in, um, but I mean in ways that I think really enlighten things. I mean, Marcy's absolutely right. I mean, things are procured and funded, you know, programmatically specific. And so at CMS, you know, our landscape was... Um, you know, program-specific transactional systems, and all of a sudden, I mean, the program that we were looking at was sort of uh, reimagining Medicare and the Medicare payment system, and so all of a sudden you're taking these, like, historical programs and cutting across sideways across the entire enterprise. And so you had, you know, this data silo over here collecting data elements and that data silo over there, and similar but somewhat different data elements and all of a sudden how do you bring them together and what is the truth and so it was really you know trying to get this a much stronger discipline of what's the hypothesis we're testing like how do we need to answer it and what's the problem we're trying to solve and determining you know which data elements are are you know give us the greatest data integrity and you know can bring those together to make the right kinds of decisions and at the end of the day all of that data was to try to understand who who are we affecting how are we affecting them and how then do we know um, both policy wise outreach implementation how that's going to be manifested outwards um, and so that was really I think um, it was a very painful exercise, but I think one that just um, really brought people together in terms of trying to use that to also make forward-thinking um, decisions about how, what technologies we're investing in going forward and for what purposes. Uh, it, that's a fascinating example because it's the, the who and the what starting at the, the front end versus so many times we, we hear about uh, efforts starting at the back end. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation. You're listening to the panel discussion, Modernizing the Citizen Journey Through Data, sponsored by Kodak Alaris on federalnewsradio.com, 1500 AM. Data chaos. It's overwhelming us. Think of it. All the data captured. How do you turn it into organized and actionable information? At Kodak Alaris, we have an award-winning range of scanners, software, customer service, and support to transform your data into powerful information. Kodak Alaris, taking the complexity out of information capture. Learn more at KodakAlaris.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Modernizing the Citizen Journey Through Data, sponsored by Codec Alaris on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Justin Herman, who is the Emerging Citizen Technology Program at the General Services Administration, Marcy Jacobs, the Design Practice Director for the U.S. Digital Service in the White House, and Acting Agency Lead for the Digital Services Team at the Veterans Affairs Department, Aisha Davina, a former Senior Advisor in the Office of the Administrator at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and Daryl Hillary, the Federal Director of Strategic Alliances for Codec Alaris. Now, at the very end of segment one, Marcy brought up this idea of silos and this idea that if you don't step out of your silos, if everyone just works kind of in, in their swim lane, if you will, that does not turn into a good user experience. Daryl, expand upon that a little bit. Well, we know that those silos really put unnecessary cycle time on any given process, right? You can't move quickly or be agile when you've got walls that are in the way. but to be honest, it's the federal government that we're talking about. You could spend your entire career trying to break down silos and probably just one organization itself 
Um, if you think about the world of classified work, silos are deliberately built in. It's part of how they're structured. So when we start talking about document workflows, which is the area where we live, how can we make sure that we're effectively sharing information across these silos without people not necessarily even having to get the right permissions, not putting undue cycle time, on response time in regards to that process. One of the things that Justin mentioned uh, earlier, which, which you know, only techie people get excited about, is you know, the AI options that are out there, right? How can we make our workflows, our documents, inherently smart? How can we get the machine learning aspects of, of the technology that we bring in to utilize silos to our advantage to the point where they're not barriers anymore? Uh, you can maintain the level of security that you need. You can maintain the permissions that you want, but at the same time, be effective in your responses, uh, be agile enough to get your customers to achieve the mission uh, that they need. And you guys are doing some stuff like that now, right? Yep. Um, I'd actually like to, to back it up a little bit on, on a story of how, how, we, how we got into this and how we got into machine learning and AI. Um, it was earlier in the year, there was a natural disaster uh, that occurred. And as sometimes happened, we got called in to try to help at the, on the spot to be able to create an emergency digital operations center uh, on a local level, on a city level. And what we found was because of the success of digital government, people more and more are going using those channels. They're, they're sharing things online, uh, they're creating Reddit boards, they're, they're doing all these things because we told them to do this and to use digital government. But what happened is, is that our ability to make actionable and digestible those things left the reach of many people. And again, that's when we get down to that there's so much data structured and unstructured sitting on the table, is we found we can create wonderful little dashboards and a site that capsulated and showed all these requests for help. Tens of thousands a day could come in, but we couldn't operationalize it on the spot. And that was a very cold wake-up call and a harrowing experience to be able to track that need from citizens and to know that even though we had the data somehow available that the challenge would be how can we operationalize it so we said never again we're going to let that happen that's when the interest in machine learning went from supportive to driven by the need for it because it's not just an emergency management that that need is where we talk about the silos and different programs and sectioned off we're leaving so much on the table that if we could only make it actionable and digestible for operations, it could change so much about our organizations, not just how citizens engage with government, but how government works within itself. Uh, so specifically the model, and I'm not going to be quiet about the, the, there's not so secret agenda that I have uh, in developing uh, an approach to it, it's called the no wrong door approach. We have call centers on one side, we have websites with web forms on another, we have the development of smart chatbots and things like that happening. We have the advent of things like Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant. It is possible to have all these things linked together through one intelligent backend where it doesn't matter whether you make a call, whether you go to a web form, whether you use a chatbot, all of that is made actionable and digestible and operational. This is not the future. I have already seen it. We're already moving in that direction, and we're already working with fantastic organizations around government who, I don't, we're not twisting their arms. They're asking. They, they want to be part of it, and you're going to see these things happen very quickly, either through pilot programs, new RFPs. Um, Again, when I talk about the fact of like right now in IT modernization and, and using this data, machine learning is, is, going to, is, is already at the forefront of it. Uh, it's just a matter of, again, things rolling out. So, so Justin, we've heard this a little bit before about the no wrong door approach, right? And if you go back to the Bush administration, which I will uh, talk about three clicks to service, right? Click on a website, one more click, you finally get what you need. No yeah. more than three clicks to service. We've heard this idea of you know the merging of of the Pueblo Colorado wonderful call center from the 70s that we all loved you know the the yeah. PSAs that happened in Saturday morning cartoons to get your information all the way to now the, everything can be online when you talk about the no wrong door approach it, it's this idea that no matter me as a citizen comes in I'm going to find what I need no matter how I get there exactly the path always leads if you will to the answer Yes, exactly, and also uh, we are capturing that, and it's not just dying on somebody's individual Excel spreadsheet somewhere in some silo. You're uh, capturing, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're capturing yeah. the sense that like, if I came in 
and I needed something about veterans benefits, and I started at GSA for some whatever reason, yeah. and I never got to vets.gov, just to bring in Marcy for a second, there, that data is being captured by the, the machine learning piece. Yeah. I'm just trying it, to. The, the analytic backend, yeah. and also then it makes it easier to find relationships and, the next and to be able to flow, because there's two tyrannies that we're dealing with at IT modernization. One is the tyranny of government bureaucracy. The services that people need come from some sub-agency or sub-something sub and an organization they don't know exists, and it's not their job to know it exists. It's our job to provide them those services. The other tyranny, of course, is of our technology and of technology itself, where if somebody needs help, they shouldn't have to decide, do I wait for an hour on a call? Do I send an email? Do I send a tweet or whatever? There should be no wrong answer to that question, and it's on us to do it. Interesting. Marcy, jump in. And I would just chime in that if you have to switch channels, if you're online and then you have to call, that you don't have to start over. You're not starting from zero because there is that integration. The more we can make self-service, the more the people who actually need to talk to a human because they have an edge case, because they have something that is really specific that can't be handled through self-service, ideally they won't have to wait on hold for two hours because the call volume of the people who truly need that 800 number goes down dramatically. Yes. And, and that's because because the information that's needed, meaning that the citizen is looking for, is easier to find based on the experiences of others. Uh, do I understand that right? So the people who do end up needing to call, there's fewer of them because more people are being satisfied. We exactly. see that specifically with call centers, that humans, the subject matter experts, are bound to repetitive answering of the same 10 <laughs> questions, usually on average, and then only 35% call complete rate of where the, you, the tier two, where you need subject matter expertise. So if we could find ways to automate in any way we can, or make it so people can more easier access those 10 questions, is we're, we're talking about augmentation, where now we're able to do more with it. But, but, Aisha, I, uh, I want to talk to a human, right? With CMS, you're dealing with people who are uh, disabled or people who are uh, elderly who, who just want a human too, right? Yes. Um, you got to find the happy medium. That's what I'm trying to get to. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one thing I want to pick up on, though, is you talked about you know automating and the you know trying. To, they're answering the same questions over and over. And I think this was one of our biggest challenges. I go back to the data was so important to understand the who. The who predicted. <laughs> Right, because you know, when you have, if you don't know that 80% of your target audience looks like this versus that, I mean, you want to right size the types of you know things that you're putting forward in self-service, right? So, how do you determine what are the edge cases for you know your typical Pareto type analysis, right? That was where I think a lot of the work that we were doing was trying to predict and understand, you know, what are what are those things that we need to make sure are out there for everyone versus what are the things that are going to be at the fringe and require more hand-holding so we can optimize our communications, our training, our services, our call center, and how do we, the, one of the big struggles for us, especially in launching a new program, was how do we operationalize that sort of immediate learning from Go Launch, right? Like we thought, you know, 60% of our questions were going to be this, but it ended up being that. You know, how do we cycle that through yeah. very, very quickly and efficiently to push out that next stage of sort of um, self-service and automation? Marcy. And then how do you take these questions that get asked over and over and over, that someone is being paid to answer the phone, yeah. you know, 10 times an hour and answer the same exact thing, that should be feeding back in to improve the upstream problem. Because for, for many people, granted, some people do want to talk to a human, most people don't. Most people <laughs> go on with their day Most people want to go on, because they know if they're going to call an 800 number, they're sitting. I mean, it's like when you have to call the cable company. I need to get a new router, and I needed to get a new router for two weeks. I don't have an hour to sit on the phone. If I could do that online, that would be awesome. So the more we can put these services on computers and, and make this a very easy system, whether it's transactional or informational, and use the call center volume to feed into where are the problems? How do we use that as a way to inform where we where we tackle our next improvements? And one of the things I'll say sort of feeding on that, I think we were surprised when our program launched. I mean, most inquiries were actually coming in through email because they didn't have the time. I mean, a lot of our audiences, in this case, was the provider-centric. So you had the practice managers or so-and-so. I mean, they're trying to schedule patients and do, you know, do other things, and they're trying to fire off their questions in the moment that they have it. And part of that was because we'd done a lot of the user-centered work to understand like the environment in which they were trying to come up 
you know, to speed on these programs. And while we would like them to spend an hour on our webinars, they probably only have 10 minutes between the last patient and, you know, getting their lunch or whatever. So trying to make the program accessible and the information in the context of which they are able to access the information. So we had a lot coming in through email, not because that fit into their routine, but also because they wanted a record of the response. They wanted to be able to uh, like have like, oh yeah, this is what they I, said I to me. I called three times, I emailed three times and well, and no, but here's and the details. So this is the details of what they told me I needed to do. Okay. Right? So it was just the, you know, so it was almost that, you know, they could tape it up on the tack board and be like, okay, step one, step two, step three, or this is what I needed to know about it, that they could have that reliable source of information to go back to. So it's not always about I want to talk to a person. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Maybe for me, I just like to talk to people. I always hit zero first. Daryl, let me, let me turn to you. React a little bit to what you're hearing because when you go to federal clients and customers and, and, and talk to them and, and listen to their needs, are, are these three on the cutting edge and, 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 and most agencies aren't there yet? Or are we seeing as uh, the needle moved? I would absolutely say that they're on the cutting edge because they're concerned about the, the overall experience of that end user. And what I find in, in the more, um, I don't want to say advanced, but the more the more um, in, uh, open, open, open organizations, organizations <laughs> that, are, that, are, that are actively trying to deal with this problem, um, they're coming to private sector uh, participants to be able to say, help us with these workflows. Like we understand that we have a problem inside here right now. There's got to be a better way, but we're not going to be able to figure it out on our own. It's got to be one of those public-private partnerships to be able to go forward. So um, when we see organizations that are forward thinking saying, hey, you know what, we've got to get this fixed. We know this is a problem. We can't boil the ocean. We can't solve everything, but this aspect of our customer experience we know there's a better way to do it, and one of the easiest ways to do it is let's tear down the walls that we have right now, the conceptions of how we have to get this done. Does it still have to be a form? Um, it still amazes me how much of citizen interaction with the federal government still relies on a paper document um, that someone has to either send away for, go to that location to yeah. fill out, and that process in itself is wrought with errors. It's designed almost to Number one, increase that amount of unstructured data that we talked about. You can't really use any of that information except what that person writes down. What if they write down something that's wrong, yeah. right? Then you lose that aspect of information. So are there better ways to design the workflows that government uses to interact with its citizenry to provide a better experience? Um, those are the calls where, you know, that we get and the solutions providers are like, yes, we can actually, let's talk about that. Let's, let's figure out ways we can either bring in new technology, but before we even get tied down to one technology, let's look at the workflow. Let's look at the output that you want to get to and let's design for success at that level. Darrell brings up the workflow issue. Marcy, lead us down the path to IT modernization now, how, how that kind of fits together. Sure, and I just want to chime in. It I think that it really starts with understanding what's really happening. I think that there are people who sit in conference rooms and talk about where the, the perceived problems are, but they aren't actually seeing, mm -hmm. to Aisha's point earlier, what the physician who is trying to understand a new 800-page regulation during their lunch break is really dealing with. So understanding that human aspect, I think, is critical before you start thinking about technology or how do you, how do you throw shininess at this. IT modernization. I think a lot of times is a technology, is perceived to be a technology um, issue. And I don't know of any agency, correct me if you do, that, that their mission is to just have shiny technology. So really it has to come down to what does the technology enable and what is the agency's mission. And the technology should be in support of that. So starting with a technology first or IT first perspective typically is rebuilding some legacy something where requirements were gathered 20 or 30 years ago that may or may not actually be meeting today's needs. There's likely not a mobile component. There's likely a lot of change from when something was conceived of a very long time ago to the current state. And potentially there's a lot of things that don't need to be modernized and don't need to be rebuilt at all. Um, just really quickly, jumping on the mobile piece of it, I thought, um, one of the um, user experience leads we had at CMS um, had a perspective on 
starting with a mobile first development perspective and I think part of it was because it really drove a discipline of you know I've got a very small you know uh, footprint here to deal with it drove a footprint of focusing on what is most important to focus on and really sort of you know, you know cutting through the forest for the trees of like what are the essential elements we need to get across and that was not only in the communications and presentation but it was also in like the data elements piece like what's the minimum set of data that's really required and, and if it works on your mobile it's going to work on your desktop and that's, it, right. and that's what we best all right we're gonna take a quick break when we come back we can continue our conversation you're listening to the panel discussion modernizing the citizen journey through data sponsored by codec alaris on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 am data chaos it's overwhelming us think of it all the data captured how do you turn it into organized and actionable information Kodak Alaris, we have an award-winning range of scanners, software, customer service, and support to transform your data into powerful information. Kodak Alaris, taking the complexity out of information capture. Learn more at KodakAlaris.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Modernizing the Citizen Journey Through Data, sponsored by Kodak Alaris on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Justin Herman, who leads the Emerging Citizen Technology Program at the General Services Administration, Marcy Jacobs, the Design Practice Director for the U.S. Digital Service in the White House, and Acting Agency Lead for the Digital Service Team at the Veterans Affairs Department, Aisha Davina, the former Senior Advisor for the, in the Office of the Administrator at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and Daryl Hillary, the Federal Director of Strategic Alliances for Codec Alaris. Now, before break, Marcy had just kind of taken us down the path a little bit of IT modernization and this idea that it's not about the IT, it's about the process piece. And I think too many times, as we've talked about over the years, uh, agencies and organizations more generally have said, well, we have this paper and just put it as a PDF or just lift this process that's worked before for the last 30 years and put it into the cloud or, or put it into a data center of sorts. So uh, Aisha, let me start with you a little bit about this idea of lift and shift. We know it's bad, but why do we still do it and how do we get around it? Well, I think the reason a lot of people do it is it seems like the most obvious and easiest step. And I think one of the things is um, sometimes a false assumption that that's what people know and that's what people you know are used to doing um, and that you know there's a regulatory you know environment that you know puts that you know process and context into and I think a lot of times people are um, nervous unwilling or it's too difficult to actually question the sort of regulatory perspective that's sort of predicated why something exists the way it does um, I think that was something that we took to heart in terms of the programs that we were working with and really challenged the regulation environment where where we felt it was important one of the things that I do think though is I think you really have to think about prioritizing and I think when we were um, looking at sort of the rollout and implementation of our program there were a lot of things that across the board people found you know unsatisfactory either operationally within the agency and and especially from the user perspective of, of the providers and and whatnot that were engaging with us and so there was this all of a sudden real motivation to rethink everything that we were doing and the question is okay we can't actually digest and deliver on all of that at once and so how do you prioritize and so I think one of the things for us and one of the, you know something that I um, you know at first in some of the pro, you know processes and operations of the program was like ah, I can't believe how much money we're spending you know you know running a system or a process that way and I think what was interesting was what was the cost of the disruption and was that the most important problem to fix first and so really again going back to who who is affected let's look at you know if if a, you know for a certain subset um, if this process is working for them if this technology is working for them we may not be happy with it and we may not think it's the modern technology we need but that may not be the first problem we solve and so we may stage that and also because frankly a lot of the external industry had optimized their organizations and processes around our systems and so disrupting that also had a cost 
Um, so just in terms of that lift and shift, I think, again, you've got to go back to the who, size the problem, and really think about prioritizing the portfolio of initiatives you take going forward. And I think the, the downstream effect, I think Marcy brought that up earlier, is that if you make a change here, what does it affect other changes down, down the way? Uh, and this, this also leads us to that idea of agile, where everyone loves to talk about agile. We got to do DevOps, iterative development, and, and yes, but, and I think that's where you're going to jump in here and talk a little bit about you have to do the user-centered design, and so many times it's it's not it can't be one without the other. Sure, and I think agile agile has gotten so much talk over the last decade and so much adoption, which is great that it should be iterative and quick development and get things out so that users can start interacting with them and you start making an impact and you don't have these huge five-year procurements where people go away and build something and then say, look, it's done and everybody is not happy. Um, but if you aren't involving users in the upfront research to make sure that you're solving the right problem and through all of your sprints and all of your releases to make sure that what you have designed and built actually meets those needs, then agile prioritizing your backlog exactly <laughs> then agile can be a way to build more quickly and potentially more efficiently but it doesn't ensure that you're going in the right direction so it it can be a really good way to to move fast and you have to include the user in those conversations so that it's not um, just driven by a product manager if that person is not informed of the true priorities justin it's so true uh, as you know, anyone who plays billiards knows speed can kill an easy shot. Uh, and we see that, and there's all this push. It's like, oh, we've got to do agile. We've got to do X, Y, and Z. But if we're not keeping our focus specifically, as Marcy said, on, on the user uh, and, and under those details, it just means we're going to fail quicker uh, at it, which actually sometimes failing quicker is a good thing because then you know quickly uh, to pivot. <laughs> but on the most, you know, I mean, on the whole, uh, it, it behooves people to slow down and focus on the on the user. I think also to, to chime in to Aisha's point, the concept of an MVP really needs to be based on what are those key priority things. What are the things that either are so broken that a user cannot cannot make it through a process or that are costing so much money to maintain because there's all sorts of call volume and, and additional support costs that you start with that critical piece and then grow from there. But everything needs to be informed by the, the data from all of your, your analytical sources but also the data from user research. Daryl, jump in here on this for a second because one of the things about Agile is, is someone comes to you and says, hey, do Agile. How do you make sure that that user-centered design piece is part of that discussion? And that's just, no, 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 we got it, we got it. We know, we know what the users want. I mean, that's, that's, we all think we know something, and in the end, we're wrong. I mean, data continues to prove me wrong. Uh, there's definitely got to be a pump the brakes kind of session that's there. Um, it, it is shocking how quickly or how far someone will go down a process without really mapping out what the end user experience needs to be. So one of the things that, that we can do as the solutions provider is to get, sometimes people say, hey, take a step back, let's take a break. Let's, let's do some of the annoying stuff that you don't want to do, right? Let's get the swim lanes done. Let's chart this out. Let's break this down. Let's use some, some process mapping to understand where we're going to take this and what some of those unexpected outcomes can be um, in that regard. The folks that, that, that are really focused on the mission itself, that are looking to deal with that end user experience are usually the ones that are willing to want to make sure that they get it right. They want to see where all the potholes are ahead of time. Uh, they want to understand what those unintended consequences might be before they start and they're willing to take the time to invest in that aspect of it. Um, folks that are trying to put their finger in the dam and fix it are willing to go out and invest in a technological solution because someone told them that it's going to work and they run out and do it. Um, you, you mentioned something before, lift and shift. The place that we see lift and shift the most, we probably deal with it, is in a, the aspect of uh, records retention, right? You know, just either scan it to PDF or send it to the uh, Federal Retention Center, right? And we still got agencies that are just literally lifting paper and sending it someplace else. And when they go and try to design a system to be able to deal with that, to meet with a mandate like the NARA mandate, so now there's a regulatory aspect of why I've got to try and get this done, that, that road is fraught with peril in regards to are we going to make something that's just going to fix it now while I'm in my job, while this administration is here, while I have the funding, or am I going to make something that's going to line up with my cloud strategy, something that's going to allow me to meet these retention policies that I have to stay in line with so that I'm regulatory compliant, but at the same time, if someone says, 
hey, can you get me that record from 1863? It doesn't take me 60 to 70 days to be able to go out and pull That one's we have, because that's on paper and it's all neatly. It's the record from 2003 that probably <laughs> is harder to get. Aisha, you want to jump in real quick? Well, I, I'm very sympathetic to, I mean, I've been on both sides of the equation. I've been the consultant, I've, I've been in the federal capacity. Um, you know, trying to say you need to do user research to the Fed, that's like, budget, you know, contract mod, you know, whatever it is, it's like it's not in the scope, how to, and it just becomes, you know, barriers. And so I think there, there's just, I think a lot of the agencies are learning and their thinking is evolving, evolving but I also think user research and you know, proper user research and user design doesn't have to be incredibly expensive. And so I think it's in, in, uh, incumbent on the contractor and consultant community to be very efficient and effective in how they're um, advocating for it, showing the benefits and the values of it, and being diligent in how that's you know sort of resourced and processed through. Justin, jump in. A specific example, just to touch upon everything that everyone's been saying about you know agile and the speed and having to focus on it. So this summer we're conducting a, a pilot program. Uh, the purpose is to uh, figure out ways to use pre-existing open data and to work it into personal smart assistants. Uh, we're working with Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, Microsoft Cortana, Facebook Messenger chatbot, Oracle, MITRE, the list goes on. People are at the table. We hoped, because Obviously, it's a time of transition. Um, obviously, it's it's summertime, if nothing else. And so, in my heart of hearts, I was hoping I could get six agencies to step forward for this. We had to cut off at over 30 agencies, which is a fantastic thing. But you know, when we were approaching this in an agile way, and for the, a lot of it, this was the first time some of these agencies had really done this using open source and doing it in an agile way. And then what's happened is the people got addicted to it, and they want faster and faster. So obviously, when we had the larger scope, we needed to be able to look back, you know, take a pause and look at where we're at and make sure that we're going in the right directions. And I'm only hearing from agencies, well, we gotta go do this faster now. And I'm here, like, press will ask, well, where is it? How is it now faster? I'm like, have you all lost your collective damn minds <laughs> on this? We're already going faster than you thought we could at the beginning. So, it, like, again, just slowing down and focusing on that is something that we see to this day. And just real quick, the pilot is is taking existing open data and doing what? Okay, so the entire idea you was again we, proof of concept. <laughs> uh, again, these aren't. This is just proofs of concept. Yeah. We wanted to show how we could create self-service, voice-activated systems, chatbots using consumer available devices, only using pre-existing open data. Again, to show a force that we can start developing these next-generation programs using the repurposed resources of today. Excellent, Marcy, jump in. So I just wanted to chime in on something that was said earlier around everyone wants to use Agile and wants to, to start immediately and hit the ground running, and that's fantastic. Um, and we don't need to pump the brakes so much and know everything up front, but we do need to spend some time developing what our North Star is and making sure that we understand truly what the pain points are from from all the different perspectives. What are the technology limitations? What are the business needs? What is the business trying to solve? Where are the users getting stuck? So if we aren't kind of looking at the intersection of the business, the technology, and the user, we may be going off very heavily weighted in one direction or another. I think that there is a misunderstanding or misperception that user research is this like six to 12 month effort and we need right. five FTEs and it's gonna take forever and we're gonna be flying all over the country talking to people, getting requirements that we're never gonna have the time or money to build. A two-week discovery sprint can do so much to really just dig into a problem so that you are sure that you are working within the right constraints and that you're really focused on the things that matter. So this has been a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, we're just about out of time. So I'm going to we're do the, the last bit of lightning round, and we're going to start on this side of the table with Daryl this time. Uh, one to three years from now, two to four years from now, doesn't really matter how long, but where are we heading with this idea of, of data, citizen services, IT modernization, bring us all together? Um, what, I, what I would like to see or what I envision is, is a world without weights, right? Now, that, that sounds uh, rather childish right? and, and, and impossible, but we can do a better job. You know, a quick 30-second example. I spoke to a DOD employee who decided to retire. By the time he pulled his paperwork together, he was told it was going to be at least another 90 days by the time he could get approval on that package, and then probably another 90 days before he got his answer back from OPM. 
we can do a better job than that. Like what more important uh, uh, indicator of customer experience is there and then how long do you have to wait? How long do you have to wait to get an answer? How long do you have to wait to get a service that we are ready to provide? Uh, being able to get that cycle time down to the point where customers realize that they're getting what they want and being satisfied with the interaction because they didn't have to wait, um, I think that's what the future looks like. Justin, you talked about pain points and trends earlier. Where's all this heading? I'll tell you. We say things like machine learning. We say things like blockchain. These are complicated things, and yet what we're going to see in three to five years is an ease and simplicity of the use and the challenges that we had before through augmentation of our programs and our processes with this. And it's not just augmentation, it will be the, the rebuilding of it, is that we are going to be able to touch and operationalize so much that's on the table only to the benefit of people. And so it's just a truly exciting time to work in this space. And I know you guys have a lot going on, so if there's plenty to follow up with you guys over at GSA. Aisha, talk a little bit about what you, uh, where you see this all heading. I think um, if I reflect on my period at CMS, it was, yes, we had specific mission and program objectives, but our mission was also to transform how the agency operated. And I think, you know, the technology will continue to evolve, business needs and missions will continue to change and morph. The question is, how do you mobilize internally and sort of fight the tyranny of the bureaucracy that you mentioned to mobilize across the organization, across policy, operations, technology, to address that in, in, you know, in a quick fashion like you articulated. I think that's where the future needs to be. And Marcy, you get the last word, USDS at the forefront of all of this. Cool. Tell, take us home. I'm just, I'm really optimistic right now. I feel like there's so much focus on citizen services, on human-centered design in government. There's chief customer experience officers at some agencies. Um, and I feel like we really have an opportunity to think differently. We talked initially about forms and paper and moving away from that. I would love to see a service member who leaves the Department of Defense and, and changes status to a veteran not have to submit any forms because we know who they are and we've shared data and we now can say these are the benefits you're eligible for. Click the ones that you want to, to opt into. That's where I would love to see the future go. What a great future, what a great way to end it. Unfortunately, we are out of time. You've been listening to the panel discussion, Modernizing the Citizen Journey Through Data, sponsored by Codec Alars, on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jason Miller. I'd like to thank my guests today, Justin Herman, who leads the Emerging Citizen Technology Program in the General Services Administration, Marcy Jacobs, the Design Practice Director at the U.S. Digital Service at the White House, and the Acting Agency Lead for Digital Services at the Veterans Affairs Department, Aisha Davina, a former senior advisor in the Office of the Administrator at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and Daryl Hillary, the Federal Director of Strategic Alliances for Codec Alaris. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search Codec. Thank you for listening to Modernizing the Citizen Journey Through Data, sponsored by Kodak Alaris. To hear more, visit federalnewsradio.com, search Kodak.